Hello everyone and welcome to another episode of Energy Sport. Um, I am your host Angus McGregor and you know today we're coming in good spirits and um, this is also the first time that we're we're hosting the podcast in a live studio. I think the first time since before Covid so very glad to have that on even despite some major technical issues at the first uh, hurdle. Um, let's hope that nothing comes back to haunt us uh, in the recording and the editing of this but I guess we'll find out soon enough but yeah, again, I'm joined by Angus Blackwalk again after last week. Um, how did you feel making your podcast debut last week, Angus? Yeah, really enjoyed it. Um, happy to be back. Looking forward to a good episode. Yeah, and also we have Thomas Harper. Um, Thomas, you're a first-year student as well. Would you just like to give us a, a quick wee brief intro into who you are, just a wee introduction to yourself? Hi, um, my name's Thomas. I'm a, also I'm a first-year, as you said. Um, I'm 19. I actually live in Shetland, so this is quite a bit of a... Living here is a bit different, but yeah, I'm a uh, Aberdeen fan, sadly. But um, yeah. Why did Why does everybody come on and say that they're sadly a fan of a team? Why is nobody proud it's of their side? It's a relationship between your clubs. It's just most of the time it's pain, but there's just a little smattering of glimmer and hope that keeps you there. But yeah, I'm looking forward to making my debut. So yes. Perfect. Yeah, and I guess like nobody, nobody's allowed to make fun of your club other than you know the people who actually know most about it. I guess that seems fitting, but. Yeah, I guess yeah, and we've got some plenty of action to talk to. I think you guys have got a lecture as well, so we'll try and fire through these as much as, uh, as quickly as possible. Um, I think the best place that we can start off with is um, the Friday night game between Hibs and St Johnston. Um, obviously, you know, a big, massive bumper crowd. Um, Hibs have done really, really well to, um, to lower the ticket prices for this one, which made it, you know, like a sellout. Um, I'll come to you, Thomas, for this one. How how good is it to see, you know, a club, a bigger club? within the top flight, you know, making football affordable, even if it is, you know, possibly just a one-off? It should be the norm. Um, 20 is plenty, in my opinion. Uh, it's good to see a club of that size to make things more affordable, especially since right now we're in a cost-of-living crisis, things are rising. So, yeah, it's really good that um, Ibs are... I don't give them a lot of credit a lot, <laughs> but um, uh, it's, I'm... I'm pleased. I'm pleased that they. I think it was like five pound, ten pounds for some of the prices, which is um very affordable. And I hope they do something like that again in the future, because clearly it was a big success. Because they had, I think they had like their biggest crowd in like thirty years or something like that. So yeah, clearly it, clearly it works. Yeah, if you're looking at that game against St Johnston, you know you'd probably maybe be hanging around like you know ten thousand plus you know probably underneath fifteen thousand you know you've taken a meaningless, meaningless kind of game there and you've managed to make the most of it also it was the introduction of var to scottish football um i'm sure that's going to be a a key talking point throughout this uh this uh, discussion here and angus blackhawk i know we're obviously thomas is saying there but you won't give hibs an awful lot of credit and you know a wee bit of a hibs pile on i guess here how Fitting was it that the first ever uh, incident that VAR had to get involved was for a simulation of Martin Boyle? Oh yeah, I, it's mad that people still think they can get away with it, especially <laughs> with the technology these days. But there was I think I think that was just them trying to make sure it was actually working. To be fair, maybe it was just a wee test there. It it wasn't even a good dive either. <laughs> yeah, Porteous as well getting into it as well. So yeah, yeah. Well, to be fair, it has, you know, I think they actually did play well for that first half, and, you know, they would end up taking the lead, uh, taking the lead, um, I don't think St. Johnson, you know, offered too much from them, but, you know, with Hibs, you know, there is always that kind of uncertainty of, you know, what's going to happen with them, and, you know, you've seen second half, you know, how quickly things can deteriorate, um, Angus, what are your thoughts on, you know, the kind of capitulation in that second half? I think the game changed when Cal McGinnis got sent off, uh, I think, 
rightly sent off to two yellow cards there. But they kept going control of the game until he said enough happened, and then they just capitulated after that. I think the the goals that they lost were quite sloppy, quite avoidable on on their part. But said enough played a big played a big part in the game changing. I think that's what the interesting part about it as well is you know everybody talks about Hibbs's defence and. You'd be disappointed to come away from a game losing two headers against Mickey Clark and Stevie May, um, especially from you know when your centre backs are challenging them and whatnot. Um, so I think there will be an element of disappointment there. But thoughts will come to you as well um, for this one. You know St Johnston, you know barely laid a glove on uh, Hibs in that first half, and you know we're looking very poor. I think they're getting a bit of a bit of a slaughtering on Twitter to be fair for their performance. But you know to have that kind of um, ability to you know to bounce back and keep on fighting till the end is that something that's going to do them well um, in the rest of the season? I think they're I think they're I think they're going to do a, a decent enough this year. It 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 doesn't matter. You need to take your chances, and it's clear what St Johnston did. If you um you need because for those type of situations, a man sent off. It clearly you need to be a good enough team to take advantage of that, and they did. So I think yeah it. Would you say though that there's the warning signs are there? Because I watched them play against Definitely, us yeah. um, a couple of weeks ago, and I mean the second half they had no real efforts on target. You know, you're talking about another 45 minutes of football there. Mm-hmm. You know, if Hibs were a wee bit more clinical, you know, it could have been a very, very bad night for them. I think these performances are becoming a wee bit too often for Callum Davidson's side, where you know they are a bit toothless. Um, yeah, I think there's a reason why they're near the bottom of the league is yeah. because of that consistency and that lack of being clinical in front of goal. Um, but yeah, it'll be interesting to see. You know, you've got to give them plenty of credit after all for you know coming away with a two-one victory against Hibs. Hibs does seem to be a very enjoyable side for St Johnston to play. I mean, I can think of you know, um, on the run to their cup double, they beat them in the semi-finals of the League Cup and then in the final of the Scottish Cup. It always just seems as if Hibs struggle against St Johnston. I don't know if it's mm. or St Johnston just that kind of side. I know people say this about Livingston quite a lot, Angus. That you know they're that kind of stuffy side who are just kind of quite frustrating. Do they have those kind of nitty gritty qualities though that makes them the ideal opponents to take something off of Hibs? I, I think so. They're, they're, they're a team full, not a f- um, but they've got lots of journeyman players that have experience of playing in top flight of the Scottish Premiership. I mean, I look at Hearts, they haven't won at the German Cup Park in like 11 years or something. They're just that sort of side that are nitty and gritty and can, can, get, a jo- can, can get a result when they're ahead and just stay compact. A bit like Livingston, but. Not not quite as good as Livingston, or or as handsome as Livingston. I think people would say as well. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a strange kind of squad that they've got because there's a lot of names that you're looking in that team and you're recognisable. You know, Nicky Clark up front, Stevie May as well, Jamie Murphy, um, and then a smattering of other players like uh, Ryan McGowan, Andrew Considine, Liam Gordon's still there, um, a couple of loan players um, on that as well. And they're a very strange side, St Johnston, because you look at the performance against Celtic um, a couple of weeks ago when they were very unlucky to, to lose the game um, and then compare it to a couple of the more recent performances. They seem to just be a team who can't really get going. And I think Callum Davidson, as a manager, he's probably bought himself a lot of time with that cup double. Um, and I think he's going to get the benefit of the doubt for quite a long time. But there is there is an element of unrest. I think if you go into, you know, if you look at the, the Twitter feed of, you know, the St Johnston team, um, you'll see like before half time there is a lot of people who are unhappy and, you know, I guess quite rightfully so. And I think that's not going to go away anytime soon. As you know, all the although they've picked up a victory there, I think they're only sitting maybe three or four points above of the relegation zone. So that's never really going to be going too far away. And I think that the the long kind of success that St Johnston have had um, in this uh, division, um, the fans will be expecting something from their team at all times. Uh, well, 
not to be like punching above their weight or whatnot, but to you know to be that kind of established side that we've expected from them. Um, but yeah, full credit to St Johnson, a good good victory, two one. You know, it takes them um, a wee bit away from you know the likes of Ross County and Dundee United at the bottom of the table, and I think that will be will be very grateful for that. And yeah, Hibs again, you know, in front of a big massive crowd, you know, they've not done an awful lot to convince any more of those people to come back. I don't think, but you know, fair credit fair credit to them for you know putting on um, kind of a spectacle. I mean, I seen that they had like pyrotechnics, there was fire and stuff like that before games, you know. I always find it really hilarious when I see like that coming to Scottish football, and I can't wait for more teams to do that. Like, can you imagine like going to Ross County and they're just suddenly, you know, up at Dingwall, there's just fire pits going off and stuff like that. I think that's going to be, you know, I want to see more teams get creative, um, in terms of you know halftime entertainment and you know pre-match games, um, you know, just mascots is maybe maybe a wee bit outdated. Maybe we need to start thinking outside of the box with this thing. You guys got any suggestions for that? I mean, you couldn't really do fire at Livy with a plastic pit. That's what I would say. Ah, we just put we j- the performances are fire enough for us. Don't worry about that. Oh, that was right. Ah, well, I guess I guess that leads us in perfectly to talk about you know the the game that you can just tell that I'm absolutely delighted to be speaking of as you know this weekend I made my first trip to to Ibrox, uh, the Harry Styles Arena, um, <laughs> to see to see Livingston take on Rangers. Um, yeah, going into this game, it's a weird one. Um, it's not very often that you'll find many teams within Scotland going to Ibrox, you know, feeling you know slightly optimistic. Yeah. Um, but for some reason, um, I was um in the our pre-match like kind of predictions and that I said that we would draw one-one, um, because of uh you know Rangers kind of struggles um for form for consistency, you know the pressure that's on them, and you know th- the first game of the season we played against them, I thought we were very steady, and I think we've improved defensively from them as well. So. There was a good feeling of optimism, which you know continued into the game in the first five minutes. Um, Christian Montano spins James Tavernier, who I guess maybe it's a good thing way to way to like start off the kind of talk about the game. Do you guys, what do you think of James Tavernier's performances this year? Obviously, last season he was you know one of the top goal scorers in the Europa League, a very key player from them. Stepped up in the big moments. He looks an absolute shadow of himself right now, don't you think? Definitely. Oh, yeah, I think a lot of those players look like a shadow. To be fair, uh, they're. So inconsistent in Europe and in the league, and it's just. Yeah, but they still managed to like get some sort of result. But it's just. I think for me, James Tavernier recently signed a new contract with Rangers, keeping him down until 2025 or 2026. And I think he's got that stability now that he's going to be there long term. He's a captain. He's a main star. And I think he's sort of just taking his foot off the gas a wee bit. Um, I also think Champions League is, is a lot harder than. Europa League, so he's not getting forward as much in the in the uh, in Europe. But uh, yeah, he's he's definitely not the same player he was last season. Yeah, and the reason that I'm singling James Tavernier for this one is because I think that he's largely at fault for our the for the goal that we scored. Mm-hmm. Um, Christian Montano, who's had an absolutely brilliant season for us, you know, spins him uh, out on the flank, and Tavernier essentially can't get anywhere near him. Cross comes in and Noobly spins and gets his second goal against Rangers, and you know. Roughly about the same time mark that he scored on the opening day of the season as well, which is quite a strange one. Um, but I, you, you know, Tavernier, um, he's not even taking the set pieces of that anymore, which I find really strange. He's not going over to take corners. He's not making those late runs into the back post. Um, that was something, this is probably one of the first times that I've watched Livingston play Rangers since we came up to the top flight and not thought of him as a big threat. Um, and to be fair, that kind of happened for, for the most part of the game for the whole team, um, in all honesty. I think the total ended up it was about 73 crosses apparently Rangers put into the box which when you're doing that against a defensive Ayo Obelai and Jack Fitzwater who are you know both six foot three plus 
you're going to be fighting a losing battle there. To be fair, I do think that Antonio Cholak, you know, did well with what he could could essentially do with. Um, he had a couple of ones that he's kind of like glimpsed wide. Um, but yeah, he was he was isolated for the most part, and you know, Rangers had no real imagination. And Angus, is that really the the issue with this Ranger side? Is that you know they only they're very one note. If what if Plan A doesn't work, then they don't really know what to do. Definitely, I I also think at the moment playing at home isn't helping them. Because like a lot of teams, when you're not doing well, the home fans get in your back, and especially after that first goal for Livingston, dream start for yourselves. Just really, you can just then sit in, be compact, and just see the game out from there. And then that just that just gets the home fans on top of the players, and then they start to panic. And I think that's basically how the game went. To be honest, I think I I just don't think Rangers are a team they were last season in Europe or the league, and they're just, just they're just in a bit of a slump at the moment. Yeah, I think it'll be interesting, you know, if we can get one of the Rangers fans at the UNA on to talk about this because they'll know better about uh, more than us about, you know, the ongoings at the club because, in all honesty, I think the recruitment and that needs to take a... There's a lot of issues out with of, uh, Giovanni Van Bronckhorst, I think, um, because, you know, you look at that recruitment, you can't be going into the Champions League, you sell off Bassey, you sell Patterson, you sell Aribo, you think, uh, I think that's the best part of, like, over 50 million that they got for, for those three players. And they're still going into games against Liverpool with the likes of Steve Davis, Scott Arfield, and even Alan McGregor and goals. Not saying that they're bad players at all, but you know there's got to be a time where you start to refresh this team. It's just simply not happened. But you know, the um, VAR incident happened um, here as well, um, of course, and at Ibrox. What would you expect anyway? Yeah. But uh, I had to concede that I do think that it was the correct decision. Like Morgan Boys was. Um, it's not a malicious tackle. It is just poorly timed, and you know the. The, the height, the studs up, and where like it's been located on Morelos's leg. Um, can't really have too many complaints about it, but frustrating for us from that fact because we were so comfortable, and you know I think we end up conceding the goal because we do have that lack of a player on the park. I think if we have uh, eleven men on for the full time. I think we see that game out. I think we continue to crowd that box out. I think you see it gets drawn back to where uh, John Lundstrom is, and it's a tremendous finish from him. Also noting on that as well, Ryan Kent, you know. The first time that he properly committed the Livingston defence and went to the bylines, he just tried something different. It worked out for them, and you know it was maybe a wee bit too little, too late. But Ryan Kent's another one who gets um, a lot of kind of like sticking that I think. But in all credit to him, he was the only kind of Rangers player who looked to you know to actually do something, especially in those last twenty minutes or so when Morgan Boyce got sent off and it was down to ten men. Kent was the one who was looking for the ball every time. Maybe he's not direct enough, but he was the one player I think you could look at that team and be like, he's putting a, he's putting. Uh, a massive effort in but it wasn't to be um, for Rangers and Livingston would get only only our third ever point at Ibrox which is quite uh, remarkable um, and I think 20 games that we've played there so massive massive for us but Thomas where does the um, where does the buck lie with this Rangers team Giovanni Van Bronckhorst obviously his side was booed off at half time and then very much at the end as well is his job very much under pressure right now I think so, yeah. Um, I feel like if if things don't go well against Napoli and Naples, and then small task, isn't aye, it? Uh, and also, and also, if they lose to Aberdeen, I feel that the coffin may the nail in the coffin might be. I think he can turn it around though, because well, you must be a good manager if you're able to get Rangers in the Europa League final. That was. Is that what's so confusing about it then, is that they've made it to the Europa League final and then suddenly, you know, these games that are kind of routine, they're slugging towards them. Because I always thought Rangers last season were an exciting side. Um, I think that's one thing you could say about them. Is it maybe that 
you know, these games now that these games that teams are just coming and sitting back against them. Mm. Is that the main struggle where in the Europa League they were doing so well with teams who were, you know, coming at them? Is it just as simple as that or do you think there's yeah. a more to it? Teams expect in a European away day, teams expect Rangers fans to turn up and they usually always do. Um I think most of their in their legs in the Europa League it was a, it was mostly a home win or and not as good a way of performance. But um that's the most confusing thing about Rangers is because inconsistency is in their squad. In but I feel like they can turn it around. It's just a matter of when, and if it's too late, then I don't think you'll be here in next year. But yeah, there's already a lot of fans who are calling for it, so I think it'll be interesting if we can get. I hope it um, stays. To be honest. Yeah, yeah, that's, I mean, absolutely. Looking at the way that they've played against us, um, it's it's turgid in all honesty, and um, yeah, he is under a shrivelly peg, and there's not going to be many fans who are going to be taking that lightly for too long. And you know, you can only imagine Angus um, if they if they lose heavily to Napoli, could that very well be it for him? I don't think it'll be it, but I I think the whole pressure and zeal really started after that Liverpool defeat at home at Ibrox. I think then questions start serious questions start start getting asked and you can see it with, with his post-match interview he's coming out and saying i'm going to get through this get through the pressure he, he recognizes he's under that pressure at rangers we always are but even more so now after a not tough run of results but a tough run of performances because they even in the uh, premier sports cup in midweek they only beat dundee 1-0 ibrox for rangers you should be you should be doing a lot better than that I think yeah, he's definitely under pressure, but I don't think I don't see him getting sacked anytime soon, unless, like you say, maybe a defeat against Aberdeen at home or whatever. That but would be embarrassing, to be fair. I would say getting beat by Aberdeen—that's enough to lose any man. Ah, I guess we know about that. Yeah. I would know about who who got sacked off of us after losing to No comment. Yeah. No comment. <laughs> I, I, don't, I, can't, I, I can't remember. <laughs> that just Thomas talking absolute useless as usual. Cheers, lads. <laughs> really, last home game we beat you. I think yeah. That was a that was a really good point you made, Thomas. Um, I think I think that's I I can't um, my memory sometimes is a bit foggy when it comes to Aberdeen because I just block out a lot. So it's right. I can't remember last year because I was at the time. I mean, if she'd said that, if she'd said this year, year you might have had the point, but I stumbling. He's not he's not poor like us two Angus. Don't worry about it. He'll he'll get there eventually. Um, yeah. Um, try to it's slag my first off. time, lads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um. This this year I don't know. Like with Aberdeen, you don't know what's going to happen at all. Especially last last year was a big underperformance for us because at that time when we signed players like Declan Gallagher, at the time he pocketed like pocketed Mitrovic and stuff like that and Euros, and we thought, okay, good signing. But it's just there was always that question mark around Stephen Glass last year. So <laughs> it's like uh, I still don't know why we appointed him, but. That's what happens when you're chairman of the PAL, so. Oh, well, there you had it. I guess that takes us nicely into talking about the Aberdeen game against Mullerwell. Uh, Mullerwell has been quite a bogey side for Aberdeen these last couple yeah. of years. Kevin Van Veen in particular. You just mentioned Declan Gallagher there. Van Veen, there's a good couple of occasions that got to be very much the better of him. Uh, but, you know, you've become out 2-1 victors in this one. Um, first goal, absolutely delightful. One of yeah. goals this season, I would say, so far. What are your thoughts on that? Jovski is he's been really really good for us this year. Um, it was uh, yeah, VAR also involved, but um, it pr- he was onside. It looked it looked like to me anyway. But yeah, it was a delightful chip over the keeper, and 
overly intelly. But yeah, um, I think him and Duke especially are going to be our two focal points this season. Well, it looks like so far. But yeah, it was a delightful chip from Duke Bowie-Ang, yeah. Yeah, Duke as well, you were talking about there. Medical, he scored recently, um, really kind of coming into his own form. Um, that performance against Hearts last uh, couple of weeks as well was very, very pleasing, although Angus is shaking his head at the moment. Um, but yeah, against Mungerwell, I think Mungerwell are a strange side in that instance. I think there's a lot of teams at that bottom of the table where you don't really know what to kind of expect from them. And I think, you know, Stephen Hamill's now now kind of seem like the proper side of this managerial um, reign where, you know, that manager, new manager bounce has kind of disappeared. Um, it's starting to look as if as he may be the proper appointment that they should have went for. Was it a case, Angus, where, as you know, it was an easy appointment for Mullerwell to make? He was somebody who was at the club already who had kind of the respect, but does he really have the credentials to back it up, as it seems? I'm not too sure. I think it's his first senior job in management. And um, for the... I know Dundee United have done a similar thing. But you also have to look at the candidates that were out there. Was there, any <coughs> was there anybody that was in the, uh, in like, a front runner for that job? I don't remember there being a standout candidate, even sa- same with Dundee United. But it is it was an easy appointment for, for Motherwell, I do, I do think. Yeah, it's a strange one um, because, you know, I think they had a wee bit of a resurgence um, following um, Alexander Sacking. Um but yeah, they're just like a strange side, Motherwell. I think you you're talking about that though as well. They've only lost two one to Aberdeen, and you know you talk about VAR. There was maybe a contention that they maybe should have a penalty at the Motherwell end. Motherwell could have, Motherwell should have gone, should have gotten back into the game really. With the penalty, I can understand. I c- I un- also thought it was a penalty. To be fair, I think I think this is what the issue is going to be with the VAR as well. Is it? Well, we're already seeing it. It's just becoming a game of tit for tat. Yeah. Um, we're going to talk about that very much so when we get to the game at Tynecastle later on. And it's, ju- it's just going to devolve into fans just being like, oh, this was given, but this wasn't given. It's just going to escalate that argument. Yeah. And that's going to be the main talking point, I think, for most um, Saturday evenings um, regarding Scottish football. And it's going to be, well, it's already incredibly tiresome. But you, you talk about that foul there that was on and Ricky Lally, I believe, in the last minute. I bet you'll find in every set piece at the weekend, you'll find the exact same shirt pull that's Aye. going on. And it's going to be interesting to see how the referees cope with this because is there going to be about five penalties a game? There honestly could be with the way that players tussle with one another in the box. I don't think it should have been introduced midway through a season. It's a bit uh, because I think to get like... It's just really odd to just be like halfway through because... They've admitted that it's not going to be perfect themselves. So if it's not going to be a good standard... But even just just from that perspective of you know there's so many games that have been played already i can think of livingston going away to mullerwell this season already we had a penalty that was given against us which yeah. for handball which hit the montano clearly on the chest you're looking at like the, reser- the reverse game now that mullerwell gonna have that advantage of var being there a decision could go their way is it in that kind of way like a fair thing way but i guess you're always just kind of looking at it as like if not then like when will they do it it is remarkable that they decided to to bring it halfway through a season and even bring it further forward. But um, I guess for some teams this weekend, they'll be thankful it did. And then for some others, they'll be thankful it didn't. Um, but yeah, um, Aberdeen Thomas, you know, it's obviously your team. You know, you talked about how last season was much of a disappointment. Um, it's not very hard for you guys to have making an improvement this year. How do you assess your guys' season so far? Um, I think we're having an all right enough season um, compared to last year anyway. But um, I feel like if a couple of injuries start to happen, then we could probably 
jump tumble down the table a little bit because we've already shown this season that we can be very quite inconsistent. That's the story with everyone who isn't Celtic. It seems everyone's inconsistent. But um, yeah, I think I feel like Europe is the aim. I feel like we can get into Europe. It just depends on where, like which place. But I feel like top six is should be minimum for a club like Aberdeen and a club like Hearts, a club like Hibs. And you can't argue Dundee United, but I don't think Dundee United will get into that top six this season. But yeah, um, it, it seems very much as if there's going to be another, I think it got nicknamed the Glob yeah. last season, where you know a handful of points was separating a whole bunch of teams. And you've already seen that. I mean, Livingston have just came off of a 1-1 draw away at Ibrox there. And I think, though, if we lose to Celtic this weekend, and I think if three teams below us win, we could end up being ninth. Which is mental yeah. to think about, you know, how we've not been playing badly at all, but just because of, you know, a result going like against us, perhaps. I think it's if Hearts win, they're away to Ross County, I believe. St Johnston, I think, are one of the teams as well. And I can't remember the other one. Um, maybe Motherwell, I'm not too sure. Um, I think Motherwell in that bottom half there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so you look at it that way, where you know a couple of a handful of results can you know make all the difference yeah. in there, and it's going to be. It's going to be after the World Cup and after the New Year where we're going to start to see, you know, the European challengers kind of separate themselves away mm-hmm. from, you know, the bottom half and stuff like that. If not, we're in for one of the most exciting seasons um, we've probably ever had. And, you know, with VAR added on to it, um, it's going to be even more so. And yeah, I guess, that, yeah, we'll just go in and talk about, you know, finally talking about the seven goal thriller at Tynecastle. Um, probably strange this one ended up, you know, halfway through the podcast, in all honesty, uh, due to the just to the nature of the match, but, you know, we're talking about VAR adding a lot of excitement to it. Um, is that what you would call it, Angus? You know, adding excitement to it or just impending doom? Adding drama. I think, yeah. First first uh, televised game of VAR, I think a lot of it was, we've got a shiny new toy, let's be seen to <laughs> use it. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, it was just a mass, like, um, lots of decisions. Like, the only thing that was missing from that game, really, was a red card. Mm. It had penalties, goals, contentious decisions, just everything. And um, I think most of them were right. I, I mean, I, I think we should have had a penalty given against us at the end of that first half. How that wasn't given, I, I, I know you don't think... Yeah, this yeah. is Michael Smith. This yeah. is so Michael Smith. So yeah. we, we yeah. talked about this slightly before uh, off-camera, and I, don't, I, feel like if, I feel like I'm the only one being... I don't even know if it's me being, you know, gentle and harsh with that here, or, you know, being understanding or whatnot, but the way that Forrest flicks the ball up at him, I don't see anything that's unnatural about what Michael Smith does here. I mean, we did literally, we, I mean, this isn't going to come across in the podcast at all because it's not being recorded that. But if you say to anybody to stand and face you and tell them to turn around as if they're going to run away, Watch where their arm goes, and it's exactly what Michael yeah. Smith does. And that is why I have sympathy for it. Yeah. Forrest just flicks it into his arm. Are we going to see it now where you can just flick a ball up to somebody's arm and because it may be slightly out, it's a penalty? Yeah, you're definitely is that what's going to happen now? You're definitely going to see players going to try a couple of different things to maybe get like take the advantage of VAR and stuff, like flicking the ball towards like a chest or arm to maybe like get that. Yeah, and if, and if it delves into that, then that's just going to be awful it's going to be absolutely dreadful to watch and I, I, i'm quite surprised that you know i think michael stewart uh, agrees with me which 
is never a great sentence to say <laughs> an awful lot, to be fair, in terms of that kind of thing. But I'm really quite shocked that there's not a wee bit more nuance um, in terms of, you know, this decision here. Obviously, yourself as a Hearts fan, the fact that you're saying it's a penalty as well must be kind of convincing for a lot of people. But, yeah, I'm, I'm not entirely sold on it. But, you know, obviously it wasn't given. Um, you know, Hearts would get a couple of the decisions would go in their way. You know, the penalty... Um, wasn't initially gave uh, Carter Vickers catches Devlin Devlin late. Um, you know they get the penalty. I think the one that's probably the more contentious, you know, with the Hearts penalties is the one that gets retaken because of encroachment for some reason. Even though there's Hearts players doing so as well. Um, but again, you said you know they wanted to make sure everybody knew that VR was there and you know the nice shiny toy. I think the most contentious decision out of them all, though, to be fair, is the one that Anthony Ralston's goal that probably should have stood. Um, although the referee blew for a foul in the box, I think it's just incredibly light. It's incredibly soft, it but it shouldn't yeah. have been. But he's blown the whistle, so the game's dead. So I don't know why they've gone to VAR for a minute mm-hmm. because because he's blown the whistle, he, ca- he cannot give the goal. That, that's what's so yeah. silly about it, though, as well as like that. You know, these guys, these referees would have been told that you know, um, you know, let the game breathe, let the game continue, so we can yeah. you know properly get an idea of it, but. You know, we're always going to get these kind of instances and no, just because a couple of decisions went against you does not mean that in fact the entire SFA or whatever is against you. Uh, I'm seeing so many... A lot s- of Scottish fans uh, think the SFA honestly, is against them. It's incredible, you know, that Celtic have won nearly every trophy for the last 10 years, even despite the fact that the higher powers are all against them. These are good. Yous, that's why these are winning. Like, it's not any ulterior motive yeah, and all of that. All of us just millions of pounds in ticket revenue. Uh, yeah, <laughs> honestly, it's just like, and you know, you've got to give them credit for that as well. You know, another couple of changes there. You've seen Forrest come back into the team, Jack and Mathis and all of that. Mm. Um, Aaron Molly having to fill in for the likes of Cal McGregor being injured. The squ- Celtic squad depth, I think we'll have the wee couple of question marks over it after that um, result against St. Mirren, and then maybe that almost slip up against St. Johnston, but. You know, these players are really starting to show up again um, and, you know, it, it is showing that difference between Celtic and Rangers where, you know, Rangers are crying out for your star players to um, come up with any form of quality. Celtic are bringing them off the bench. Um, you know, Dyson Maida's even coming on and scoring. Greg Taylor, an unlikely source. You know, they're just absolutely solid all over the park. And, yeah, Celtic are a certainty to win the league again this year, guys, aren't they? Uh, yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, it's definitely going to be Celtic, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, they are they are a cracking side to watch, um, and you know, fair play to Hearts for you know for matching them. You talk about Hearts's kind of injury issues and whatnot this season. Um, it would have been a difficult one for them to to go through with you know the tough schedule that they've had. Um, is that the main thing? I've seen a lot of Hearts fans kind of be moaning this season so far due to the lack of consistency in that. Obviously, the issue with Robbie Nielsen and Hearts fans is just. I mean, to an outsider, it's, it's just absolutely... It's a really weird relationship. It's really... It's so weird. It <laughs> like, really weird. I don't it see it how Hearts fans can't be yeah. neutral. Um, but, like, is this kind of a performance... It's like some kind of toxic ex or something. <laughs> the the <laughs> whole like thing started when... Um, it was back in the 2016 season. When you didn't Scotland put Hibs at the Cup. And ah. we were 2 nil up going into final 10 minutes and Hibs drew with us yeah. and won the replay Arg- and went on to win the Scottish Cup. And despite being Hibs in the Scottish Cup a couple of times after that, People still can't get over the fact that basically because we got beat by Hibs, that was Nielsen's fault that Hibs. To be fair, it, it was your fault. It, yeah. <laughs> no. But yeah, you look at that though. So you look at that kind of performance. You know, although you've ended up losing the game in the end, is that the encouraging sign that you know against all this adversity and whatnot, you've been able to commit yourselves to such a performance, and that gives you hope for the future? Definitely, I think the, the team got clapped off after defeat against Celtic. You, c- you don't say that often. But you could see the performance was there. You could see the tactics were there. Nielsen 
although we got beat, I think we got the, t- the tactics almost spot on. You could see there was, you take the moments when Twenty were pressed, and you could see um, you could see the improvement in the whole togetherness as a team. Because last week up in Aberdeen, when we conceded, we just seemed to give up, give up. But then against Celtic, when we go, when we went down, I think we started to be the better side in that game. To be honest, and deservedly went, deservedly went in at half time, drawing the game. But um, I, I, it's definitely, I think it's probably one of our best performances this season. To be perfectly honest. And it's weird saying that in a defeat, but um, that's what's so sickening about it. The way you talk about Lawrence Shanklin being, you know, one of the first players to score a hat trick against Celtic in a domestic game since I believe the eighties or the nineties. Uh, you know, scoring three goals against Celtic, you're at least expecting something from it. To have yeah. nothing, is that what makes it even more heartbreaking in the end? Yeah, I'd especially when especially when you go ahead, it's it's sort of the this old saying that it's a hope that kills you. You're thinking <laughs> that. We're gonna get something here because, like, no, nobody, no Hearts fan really expected anything. Your bad run of form, you're thinking, four 0 drubbing as always, but um, no, it wasn't, and we just, I thought we did really well, but just obviously not enough, unfortunately. But there's signs there that hopefully we can get, we can start getting on a more positive run. We got two, I'd hopefully say, winnable games off against uh, Riga at home and uh, Ross County away, and if we can get results in them before going to Istanbul, which we'll just get beaten. But then you've got Motherwell at home, which, again, you'd think a winnable game. Then you can start getting these points back in before the World Cup and end up in a better position than where we are now, which is seventh, which isn't great at the moment. But It's not ideal at the moment, but I think there's got to be a bit of understanding of you know what's happened. You know, you went through this kind of like tough period with excessive in- injuries as well as a European schedule. The fact that you're still in touching distance is a big plus, I would say. Obviously, you'd like to be in that position last season where you were comfortably sitting in third place, but that'll come, I think. I think, you know, there's performances that have been there and the inconsistencies of the other teams around you. There's nothing to worry about, but it would be like Hearts fans to be like that, wouldn't it? So, mm-hmm. um, but yeah, kind of like a final word just on Celtic Thomas as well. You know, that's them um, four points ahead of the of Rangers in there. Are we getting a wee bit ahead of ourselves and saying, you know, that the kind of the title race seems to be done because of, you know, how badly Rangers have been playing so far? But even when saying that, like, it's not as if Rangers are dropping, like, excessive amounts of points. Yeah. Is it just because Celtic are proven to be ruthless that you struggle to see them dropping much more? Rangers, they aren't performing well, but they're still getting decent enough results. Like, it's only four points, I think, now. They can still catch up. And they showed last year, like, Cel- it was down to the wire at some point for Celtic last year. So yeah, I think Rangers can catch up. It's just it's a matter of if Celtic's th- a couple. They're I say their squad's a tad better. Like Jota, he's in the Portugal squad now, I believe, for like the World Cup. The provisional, yeah. Provisional, oh, yeah, yeah. But like still, the provisional like, like fifty-five man squad. But like for a Celtic squad, <laughs> and a, um, a player to get into that. That's that's unheard of, really. Imagine like having to choose a World Cup squad out of 55. Like, I mean, obviously, you've got so much more of that personnel. Imagine that training camp of about 50 people. That's just going to be like... Remember like when you were younger, or may- maybe a few weeks ago for you guys, to be fair, <laughs> when you were at like, the October break and you, know, you had to go to like football trainer or that? And it seems like it would just be like that, yeah. especially with that big child Ronaldo playing for them at the moment. <laughs> you can imagine him just sulking about thinking that he's still uh. the greatest player in the world, even though he's a big diddy these days. Uh. That's coming from a Man United supporter as well. Um, but yeah, I think that's really hilarious to think of, you know, a 55-man squad. Imagine there is like, an actual training camp for that. Obviously, I'm hoping, you know, well, surely it'll get cut down before that because yeah. it would be hilarious to imagine, you know, like, what could you actually work on with 55 players? Like, yeah. 
is it just you running them through like random builds and whatnot? How how are you monitoring that many players as well to like chart yeah. them? It must be like different like groups or something. There's there must just be a section of them who've just got you know no chance above them. But it's just you know let's just give them a, a wee, a wee bit of optimism uh, before we crush their crush their dreams essentially. But yeah, yeah I guess we're getting a wee bit sidetracked and you guys are already late for a lecture. So um, I guess we'll go into you know St Mirren. You know continue their um, good start to the season. You know a two one win against Dundee United, which sees them back up to fourth place. Is it kind of ironic that Tony Fitzpatrick spent all his time at St Mirren saying that they'd be a top six club and then a season after he leaves them that it looks like they're actually going to do it? Yeah, no, I don't think a lot of people expected St Mirren to be in this kind Not of this guy, this guy all. predicted St Mirren to finish bottom of the league, which is looking incredibly hilarious right now. I, I thought they would be bottom six, to be honest with you, but yeah, they're a lot of their players are starting to perform, which is quite unexpected, but good. I like these kind of like unexpected like performances from clubs. It's quite it's nice to see, unless they go against my team. They but they remind me, and honestly, they remind me of what Livingston have been like in the couple of seasons that we finished yeah. in the top six. Where you look at their side, and you know there's not really many you know spectacular players, but there's so much grit and determination yeah. in there. They all work as a unit. Um, like said, Declan Gallagher's went back to a very solid centre half for that kind of level. Trevor Carson goes very, very good goalkeeper. The midfield works extremely well. And up front, you know, Curtis Bain, Jesus Christ, how terrible he's been over the years. Yeah. He actually yes, looks I like know. a proper Scottish Premiership standard striker I think now. sometimes, with like Declan Gallagher last year, I think it's a matter of confidence. Uh, I think he's got that confidence back. I think it's expectancy as well. At Aberdeen, he would be expected to, you know, to come out with the ball and be you know, on it all the time. Yeah. Where do you sit like a team like St Mirren or Livingston or, you know, Motherwell? Yeah. Um, you know, you're expected to defend a lot more and, you know, you can get by on, you know, simply being a defender, which, you know, if you if you say that to people, you know, kind of older and that, it seems ridiculous to be like, what, a defender doing more in defending? Like, what what else could more yeah. could you ask for? But, you know, St Mirren just seem to have that formula at this moment and it's going to be interesting to see if they can keep it up. I do think, you know, they are kind of outperforming a little bit. Um, I don't think they create too much in terms of chances and that and that may end up catching up on them but you know until it does they're going to keep on taking points and rightfully climbing up that table and and yeah Angus they're definitely the surprise package of the season so far definitely I can't blame you for predicting them to finish bottom because you look at the they were the hopeless in the Premier Sports Cup yeah. yeah and the end of last season as well you, you had Stephen Robertson falling out with mm-hmm. players left right and centre and basically like contract situations here there and everywhere but you look you look at the, se- the way they started the season and they've been, they've been really, really good. Yeah, playing decent football as well, and they're getting results against teams that are they around got a about. They got a 2-0 win against Celtic as well, I think. Yeah, yeah. 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 They're, they're getting r- wins against teams around about them, which is invaluable, especially when the league is this tight. Mm-hmm. Almost every second game is a six-pointer, really. But you look at their, se- they've been really good at the start of the season, and I think it'll be interesting to see if they keep it up towards the going into the World Cup and then after it. Yeah, um, you know, you look at their home form as well. You've got 16 points out of seven games there. You know, Sibirin, um, I think it's what the former Love Street now, I think it's like the Smeasa Stadium, um, is now, you know, one of the kind of places that teams are starting to fear to go to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that'll hopefully, you know, continue for them if they're looking to get up there. Dundee United, you know, not an awful lot too much to talk about them as well. Um, you know, it seems as if they're having a wee bit of a resurgence with a couple of good victories, but it seems to be, you know, kind of slipping back down again. You know, they lost to Kilmarnock, they drew with Ross County, and they lost to St Mirren just there. Those are the kind of games that they'd probably be expecting, you know, to bounce themselves back and, you know, kind of continue those runs, but it hasn't quite been for them. But, you know, we've mentioned Kilmarnock and Ross County just there, and, you know, Sean McGill, you know, our editor of Energy, would um, have a go at us if we didn't 
brief a moment to talk about Kilmarnock. We just mentioned there that they beat Dundee United to go to the semi-finals of the League Cup, um, as well as you know beating Ross County one 0 at the weekend. Again, a massive result of that kind of bottom side of the table. Um, yeah, again, I think Ross uh, Kilmarnock were another side who you're looking at and being like, oh, they look kind of doomed. But you know, they keep on pulling out these kind of results. It maybe signifies a bit of a resurgence, right? Derek, yeah. yeah. Sorry, Darren McInnes. Some like. I have a weird. I don't. Defensive. It's defensive, but it works. Darren McInnes knows how to because he's done well at St Johnston. So cup competitions, he's won a cup with Aberdeen. He knows how to win. It's just, but yeah, it's just. I feel like if you have a manager like Darren McInnes, you're gonna do all right. He's kind like. There's a bit of a weird appointment. I think that's going to be yeah. one of the interesting things about the relegation battle this year is that maybe you know the likes of Motherwell and Dundee United may end up getting dragged into it yeah. from just purely a managerial level where the likes of Malky Mackay at Ross County and Derek McInnes at Kilmarnock, they have that extra experience, that knowledge, that know-how to be able to uh, drag games out where the likes of Stephen Hamill might not, mm. where the likes of... Liam Fox at Dungeon United might not as well. And it could be the issue, you know, that ends up plaguing them in the end for that as well. Um, you know, Kilmarnock as well, I think they played against us and I wasn't massively impressed at all with them. Um, but they seem to have found something a little bit, you know, they've got Armstrong on uh, one flank and you've got Jonathan Jones on the other. Um, and that seems to be creating a wee bit of, um, a wee bit of an attacking threat now, you know, they're getting the ball in deep in behind defences and letting them use their pace to get in behind goal. Armstrong's having, you know, a good wee run here. I think he scored, you know, in the last kind of like two or three games. Um, and I think, you know, maybe Kilmarnock were one of the sides this season who had a lot of loan players, I believe, and maybe it's just now that it's starting to click together and maybe we'll start to see the most about them. I don't think their squad is essentially properly at a premiership level, in all honesty. I think that may be their downfall in the end. Um, but, you know, they're giving themselves the best chance, you know, going into these games. You know, we've mentioned about, you know, taking points of the teams around them. They've done that just there with Ross County, right? Yeah, it was it was a really important game for them because both teams down the bottom, I think, a point, they might be in level or a point separated them. And for them to win that game, just putting that bit away from bottom to the foot of the table, I think, was a really important for them. And, um, yeah, I think it'll be interesting to see against the teams where they pick up the points and, if they continue to pick up these points here and there and you know, stay stay above that stay above the relegation zone. Yeah, and I think Ross County have dropped to the bottom of the table or they're certainly joint on yeah. that. Yeah, I think it's them and Dundee United at the bottom right now. Yeah, and it's you know, a minus fourteen goal differences, Ross County. Um surprisingly not Dungeon United have only got one less goal difference. <laughs> um, so it's very, very tight in that regard there, but that nine nil that 9-0 is yeah. definitely coming to haunt them. So I guess that's something that's maybe kind of went under the radar a little bit that Ross County have, you know, been quite poor, you know, defensively as well. I say that as the only team, you know, they've probably kept a clean sheet against this season. But six goals, Ross County have only scored in 12 games. Yeah. So that shows a real problem for them that, you know, they're not even, they're not capitalising an awful lot. They're not got that attacking threat. I think in recent years you've seen, well, Reagan Charles Cook ended the season as top goal scorer last year. Um, you also had Hungbo, who was a massive attacking threat. Is this the issue for them now that's maybe just, you know, they've not been able to replace these key players this time round? La- last year's team and this year's team, it's a bit light and day. Because Ross County last year, I think a lot of teams did not like to play against them. Because, th- of course, those players like Hungbo and, as you said, were very, very dangerous. And Regan Charles Cook, who I think has gone to Belgium now. I yeah, Belgium yeah. series. Uh. Cook, I think, or something like that. But, yeah. 
I, I don't think they've replaced those players at all, really. And I think it could I think it could be the team that's either relegated or in the playoff, but it's still early days. There's still a long way to go in the season. Anything can happen. With even with them beating us one 0 they are the worst team I've seen this season. Um yeah. there's not an awful lot of teams who will come to Livingston and, and this is gonna sound rich, but like putting, you know, ten men behind the ball. I think that really strange that, you know, they're looking at a team like us and thinking we're gonna soak up the pressure. And to be fair, they they used it effectively and they ended up winning the game because of it. I did think that that was like a strange way, but whether or not that's going to stick with these Ross County fans where it gets to those kind of nitty-gritty parts of the season where you know they have to pick up points and it seems as if you know there isn't too much of an effort to go and take the game to teams, um, is that going to stick for the most part? I think they're going to be looking you know, at their home form to try and do so. Maybe it's going to be a different story when we go up there or whatnot, but you know, six souls from 12 games is pretty shambolic in all honesty. Um, and they you know, need to like fix that pretty quickly. But yeah, I guess that kind of wraps up every game for us. Um, you guys are 10 minutes late for our lecture at this moment. Um, hopefully it was worth it for you guys. Um, but yeah, uh, Angus, where can, where can people find you? Yeah, just on Twitter at FitBadMadLad or type in Angus Blackford and you'll find all my wonderful reviews and opinions there. Yeah. Um, and Thomas, what about yourself? Uh, my Twitter is tharper03 underscore and... You'll just find me rambling about random things, to be honest. Mainly Aberdeen and a smattering of other things like Formula One and sometimes wrestling as well. So, yeah, if fancy, if, if you want to follow, you can, but I don't expect anyone to follow, not going to lie. Alright, then, yeah, you can expect um, Thomas will hopefully get um, Thomas's match report from um, Hibbsersia St. Mirren at the weekend. I think that'll be a very interesting game. You can find that on energysport.com. Um, I've been the host, Angus McGregor, as well. You can find me at Angus McGregor11 um, on Twitter. Um, but yeah, thanks for very much for listening. Um, until next time, we'll see you later. Thanks.